We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show where we talk with accomplished chess players, authors, and personalities about their lives, their careers, and how to improve at chess. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters and by Chessable.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Perpetual Chess. I, we have a very exciting sort of special episode this week. It is something different and uh, something I'm, I'm really happy to be doing. It, it was our guest, uh, who, by the way, as you may have seen in the show description, is Grandmaster and trainer Peter Hein Nielsen. He's the five-time Danish champion. He has a 2,700 peak rating, but of course, these days, he's best known as a trainer. He worked for many years on Team Anand. Um, as we'll be discussing. And these days he works with Magnus Carlsen. Um, and what Peter suggested, and I am, um, again, I'm really, really excited to try something different and to go really deep into something we don't get to hear about very often, is we're going to do an oral history of sorts of one of the most consequential games in modern chess history, um, which would be, uh, as we record this here, it's May 6, 2020. Uh, it's almost 10 years to the day since the conclusion of the Viswanathan Anand Veselin Topalov World Championship match in Sofia, Bulgaria, where Anand, spoiler alert, successfully defended his title um, by winning with Black in the 12th and final game of the match. So if Anand had drawn that game with Black, the match would go to a rapid playoff, but he ended up winning. And Peter here, who, of course, as uh, regular listeners of Perpetual Chess, of course, will have heard his name many times come up, as well as uh, chess fans generally. Um, but he was on the team helping Anand prepare. We've recently had Michael Oblin talk about that a little bit. We had um, Rustam Kazimzanov on the show, who was also part of the team. And uh, over on the other team, we interviewed Ivan Cheparinov. So... We're fortunate enough to have a little background about this match anyway, and hopefully if you guys haven't read up on it, you might want to read up a little bit, but I think you'll really enjoy this behind-the-scenes glimpse anyway. Um, and we should say that working alongside uh, Peter and Kazim Zhanov are Radislav Wojcik and Surya Ganguly, and a cast of special guests, as Peter will, uh, will explain. So without further ado, let's bring Peter in. Peter, thank you so much for volunteering to do this. 
Well, thanks a lot for being allowed to. It's going to be fun. I've uh, listened to now some of your podcasts, and now I'm allowed to join it. So, so thanks a lot. Oh yeah, I'm super excited. I was uh, joking with my friend Mike Klein. I wish I had a little more uh, production where I could like bring in the sound effects and stuff when you set the scene, but uh, we're not quite there. So we'll just uh, we'll just discuss it. Um, yeah, that sounds good. Um, so, um, so let's set the scene in the match. I mean, again. Uh, uh, a lot of listeners will know a decent amount about this. Um, I'll just tell you from my perspective, Peter, and then you can give the more um, informed perspective. But obviously, historic match, close match. Um, both uh, Topalov and Anand, very dynamic players. As And uh, a lot of backstory, as um, Ivan Chaparinov and I discussed, there was the issue with you guys getting there um, due to a yeah. volcano in Iceland. Um, and then just sort of the players weren't shaking hands after the match. So in addition to any world championship match, it's going to be super high stakes. Um, there there was a sort of buildup of uh, misunderstandings or maybe um, mild animosity. I don't know if you would phrase it that way in the match. And then of course it's a world championship anyway. So just tension building and building. And then in game 11, Vichy has white and he has a long, mildly uncomfortable draw, which keeps the match tied. And then there we are heading into game 12. So, uh, and you guys had a day and a half before game 12. Is that right, Peter? Exactly. Yeah. You're jumping into to the right spot. Let's start from there, right? That Game 11 has just finished, uh, and normally, I mean, you play games of two pairs, so that would normally be a game a game after sort of uh, 11, but it's exactly because it's the last game of the match, there is sort of a, an extra three days, so we have like 36 six hours to, to get ourselves together, but you're setting the scene correctly. The score is five and a half, five and a half, and uh, as you said, Anand was wide in the 11th game, but he almost lost it. It wasn't uh, functioning very well in that sense. So basically, we were hitting kind of, you can say, a, a bit of an emotional low. It's clear that, um, well, you would like to to win game 11, you have wide, but instead he gets close to, to, to lo losing it. I mean... Uh, well, uh, as we will explain later, Vladimir Kramnik was um, getting part of the team and he had prepared some specific idea for Vichy. But Vichy, you know, well, he had to play the English opening. He didn't know it so well. He played a, a dubious move just out of his preparation. And uh, let's say Kramnik was getting nervous. So, I mean, there was a lot of, I wouldn't say tension, but uh, I mean, uh, well, pessimism in the team and there was a lot of problems to to solve and sort of to get back uh, to, to to optimism but luckily there was this free day of uh, 36 hours so i thought let's try and and go through that and sort of given as you say and uh, behind the scene uh, talk about it um i'm gonna talk a lot about uh, the seconds and very little about vichy and uh, it's not because uh, i think that seconds are more important they're obviously less important that's just what I know something about. What um, goes on inside the head of Vichy, you will have to ask uh, Vichy about. So, I mean, that's, um, yeah, that, that's what we're going to spend the next uh, bit of time on, I thought. Yeah, and of course, for Vichy's perspective, um, <laughs> I highly recommend reading Mindmaster. He does talk about this match a little bit. One quote that stood out to me was, he says, he says about this match generally, not this moment in particular, but he said, it wasn't fun like it was in Bonn. Here we were miserable. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. And I actually, I also recommend uh, Vichy's book a lot. I mean, it really strikes you as being a very honest book. I mean, uh, I worked with Vichy uh, for a long time. I'm, uh, well, I was one of his good friends. I hope I, I still am and such. But it's clear that 
he's actually giving a lot of personal information that was very new to me. And I think it's the kind of, well, you can call it memoirs. I mean, Wishy hasn't quit, but he's not trying to become the world champion anymore. So he's basically speaking freely. And that's extremely interesting because else you will try to keep your, you know, well, cards closer to, to, to you and not really give away your weaknesses. But he's talking a lot about helplessness and how he felt at times and such. And, and that's very interesting. But when Wishy says that, uh, you know, Sofia was tough, but Bonn was uh, a pleasure. There is uh, some truth in it, but also some, let's say, untrue in it. I mean, we're going to talk about game 12 here. And as you rightly said, everything is at stake. Vichy wins it, he wins the match. If he loses it, he loses this match. So basically, I mean, a ton of money, but also, well, the world champion title, etc., is at stake. But nervousness there was less of. Vichy was much more nervous when he was leading uh, with two points uh, and two games left in, in Bonn. And that might sound insane to you, but I think it's sort of, um, well, at that stage, you have everything to lose. You might, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but Wishy was leading with three points, but then he lost a game with black. That can happen. But then you have only one white game left, and should you accidentally lose that, suddenly there's one game left, you're black, everything can happen, and you're going to throw away the best results of your life. And there he was incredibly nervous. It's the only time we've got, had to go for a walk before the game just to sort of calm the nerves and such. While here, it seemed like, okay, you win or you lose, but it's a normal result. And we were trying to get ourselves ready for battle. So, I mean, this idea that, uh, you know, Sofia was a walk in the park and a pleasure, while Sofia was extreme, sorry, I meant Bonn, while Sofia was extremely tense, it's true, but not fully. I mean, uh, I think um, this idea of, you know, being so close to actually losing a great result in, in Bonn felt devastating. While in Sofia, I think we felt, okay, you know, well, it can go either way. Let's try and do our best and, and see how it goes. Yeah, and one thing we should we should be clear about is uh, Bonn, of course, we're referring to the 2008 World Championship where uh, Vichy defeated Kramnik. Um, so, so then here we are um, in Sofia and... You mentioned it's, um, you know, it's uh, obviously a tense moment heading into game 12. Um, so, and it's been a nervous match, but like to thinking back, Peter, to 10 years ago. So as soon as his first game is done, um, what's what's your immediate thought? I mean, uh, Vichy sort of has alluded to, I mean, being happy with a draw as Black, being the, the amazing rapid player that he is. Was was your mindset that a draw was, uh, was the, the primary goal? Well, that would obviously be a good result, but I think it comes uh, along as having the black pieces. Also, I think at the, in that match, uh, White had won four games and Black had had um, uh, won none. So, I mean, this was a match where White was completely dominating. Uh, so that was clear to us, especially also when we basically felt our opening repertoire were being crushed. Um, I mean... Let's say in the match when Wishy became the world champion in 2007 and also in the match in 2008 against Kramnik. I think we felt that technologically we were ahead of the opponents. And that I think also has been confirmed afterward. We thought we were better with computer technology and uh, had better computers and such. But uh, in Sofia, uh, we got some surprises. And uh, I think during the match, we realized that uh, they had access to much more computer power than us. And we basically started doubting our opening analysis. Or, well, I wouldn't say we doubted it, but we had this, uh, at least we had a talk. I thought that, well, I mean, 
let's say they play uh, some opening variation in their game, if we actually want to repeat that line, well, we are basically comparing who has the better computer, but we know they have the better computer. So we had decided we have this strategy of, of jumping around and surprising constantly. But that meant that, uh, well, it was a good strategy, but we completely ran out of ideas. And, uh, well, before the match, we had prepared the, uh, the Slav and we prepared the Grunfeld, but uh, Tupalov was punching big holes in it. So, I mean, we basically had no ideas of what to do. And I think even before game 10, we had some talks and, uh, oh, well, we had it actually before every black game and uh, and didn't really know to what to do. And it was more sort of, uh, it was not that we were choosing things out of uh, pleasure, but more we were discarding things and looking what was left and such. And uh, no, Kramnik was a big help of breeding some, some life into it, but even his uh, resources came to some, some, some sort of a halt. So, um, well, before game 12, I think Bishi took the decision just to say, okay, it's going to be the Queen's Gambit declined and let's let's try and work for scratch. So we have like 36 hours to get that, get that going. But um, I mean, Vichy describes it in his book that he just took the decision himself like he did before game uh, 11 in Bonn, basically to rid us of the, the burden. I mean, well, you can imagine that if there is a lot of back and forth, should we do this, should we do that, and one second will say one thing, one will say another, there will be a lot of friction in the team. But if we should take a, a big decision like that, um, well, then it's done, and he takes all the responsibility. As I remember it, we were a bit ad sort of advising it well, but I think... Uh, Everyone was so tired of looking at the Grunfeld or the Slav at that point that we were just very happy to have to do something else. And uh, I mean, so, well, that was but it's also an easy decision to, to say, now we do it. Then the point is actually doing it. And that uh, had ups and downs, to put it mildly. But uh, I think we were basically desperate and we were out of ideas. So we thought, OK, OK, we're going to do this and then we'll do our best and see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, and just just mind-boggling. Obviously, one of the biggest games of Vichy's career to basically, and he was not a Queen's Gambit decline player normally, correct? Not a, not not a lot. I mean, of course, he's played it a bit, and I think it's an opening he always had respect for. And uh, well, also jumping a bit ahead. I mean, someone like Kasper will say, "Okay, this is the opening of world champions and such." I mean, it has a good reputation. It has never really collapsed. You can also see in, in a later World Championship match, Caruana was playing it against Magnus with, with quite some success getting a solid position. So, I mean, it's an irrefutable opening. So if you have to sort of flee somewhere, at least you can expect that that's going to work. But of course, um, I mean, well, uh, as, as, you, as you know, Wishy, uh, at least in, in the later stages of his career, wanted to be a perfectionist. I mean, we spent months preparing and then we end up that uh, before the absolute most important game of all we sort of sit down and think okay what are we actually going to do now and we try to invent something from rather scratch but um, i think also that's how matches develops and uh, well at some point you run out of ideas and you have to, to re react to that and um, well it was an interesting experience at least yeah it kind of happened back to back with the english in game 11 and then yeah 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 um but yeah just for for the more casual chess fans listening i just can't emphasize enough how much i was struck in uh in reading up on this match i mean obviously openings are important at the elite level but the extent to which you it seems like you guys always have the sense that there's sort of a a, a monster lurking behind any door and it's uh dangerous to to venture something new in a high stakes game yeah i think but it also depends on the players i mean um i think for instance uh well we said that vichy was playing against kramnik and now he plays against tupalov 
they are both, uh, they are all three very theoretical based uh, players. They will, they put a lot of emphasis on the opening phase and they like to prepare. So if, if both players want to make it a war preparation, I mean, well, then you need tons of camps. You're going to have uh, complicated uh, games. You can also go in a different direction, as we saw with Magnus later. I mean, he beat Vichy in the matches, just uh, ah, he kind of ignored the opening phase. And then uh, he tried to outplay him later and very successfully and such. So it's very stylistic. But um, I think at that point in sort of world championship history, I mean, it was really an arms race where they would prepare for months for, for these kind of uh, events. And, uh, well, um, you also get a bit addicted to that. I mean... Um, well, the good side was that we managed to help Bishi, you know, become better in the opening. But it also creates some kind of addiction that it's difficult to sort of get rid of. And you start of relying too much on your opening preparation and forgetting that you're the best player on the planet. And uh, it has a, a, you know, a flip side as well. I would say. Yeah, I wondered about that. I mean, obviously, you would know better than I would. But it seems like, and this will come up later because I know you've alluded to a crisis point. Um, that that we'll get to as we trace the timeline. But I wondered, I mean, the 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 odds of any one position, I mean, obviously I know that you're someone who studies probabilities a lot. So even if you find one hole somewhere, the odds, like obviously it's risky, but the odds it actually shows up seem like they would never be that high. No, it's a good point. That, uh, and I think uh, some of the younger players would, would do it like that. But for instance, Vichy is not that kind of guy. I mean, uh, well... If, I mean, to actually go and play something he knows loses, I think would be very difficult for him. And uh, that was really not how we were supposed to do to, uh, to, to do things. I mean, well, we would, I mean, there would be a lot of bluff, but we would call it, let's say, semi-bluffs in the sense that, uh, well, you play some forced line and uh, let's say with wide, it could be a forced draw, but you have some tricks and you hope that he will fall for them. I mean, many games... Uh, Preparation was like that. I think also after the match, we saw some of Topalov's lines and they were exactly formed by the same thing, that they are very complicated line checks with the computer and, they, and you're sort of uh, trying to catch the opponent. And you, you are completely aware that the line is, is a draw, but, uh, well, you don't care because it's very difficult for the opponent. But um, um, sort of to play things that actually is losing, I don't think uh, it's really Wish's uh, style. And um, I, if that was what the question yeah. you were saying. But I think you are sort of, I mean, going into the, the, the right question because the quest we had to do for this game was that, well, we want to prepare the Queen's Gambit. But the Queen's Gambit is maybe, let's say, relying on four pillars. I mean, there is the Catalan, then there is either the Nimso Indian or the one D5 mood order. Uh, and then there is Queen's Gambit with Bishop G5 and Queen's Gambit with Bishop F4. And I guess your question is what happens if uh, three of them works, but one of them is crashing. Right, or even um, deeper into the variation. Field, yeah. but... No, but that's basically what happens. I mean, uh, uh, this night we're going to talk about, I mean, well, we were completely obsessing about some position, uh, I mean, between move 14 and, and uh, 16 uh, uh, in some line. And you're completely right. It had absolutely no relevance for the for, for what's going to happen. But for us, it was very important. And also, well, Vichy was aware of the problem. If we don't solve it, he's going to be insecure. Maybe he will freak out or do something else. Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, so we put in an um, absurd amount of energy on that. But but you're right from a probabilistic point of view. You could argue, okay, it's very unlikely. Let's just live with it. But uh, it's easier said than done, especially when uh, your whole career is unlikely. Yeah, and you're like, uh, you know, stressed and sleepless and... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's also also a good point. I mean, 
Well, uh, as you said, this is after game 11. I think we have been in Sofia for, for three weeks at the time, and the schedule is like two games and a day of rest, which basically means that, uh, I mean, I think the players, the players has to absorb a ton of stress, but at least they get some sleeps sleep as well but I'm, I'm sure I, I have no idea how it is to be a player it's probably quite ghastly playing a world championship match although it's every player's dream but <laughs> right. of course you're going to be, be stressed but well for our seconds it was tough because two out of three nights we would get very little and then of course you try to catch up when there's a free day but uh, I mean you still you're basically turning into to, to zombies like an event like this and such and um, I think I recall uh, one night I saw sort of, uh, Kasim Janov uh, drinking some kind of extremely weird fluid and asked him what is that he said it's a banana shawl and uh, well that drink doesn't exist but i don't know if you know what a shawl is mm -hmm. but uh, it's very typical german you're mixing a kind of fruit with uh, gassy water but uh, i mean it would be normal to do it with apple juice i mean apple shawl is a very classical drink banana shawl i've never heard of but but basically people start disintegrating and we are living in our completely own bubble <laughs> Um, the place we lived in principle would be extremely beautiful. We had the, the top floor suite of uh, the Hilton uh, Hotel in, in Sofia. I assume it doesn't get better than that. I mean, you can imagine a, a huge uh, sort of four-room apartment. Uh, normally, it would be very luxurious. There would be a bar. There's a spa, a spa area and such. But we, have re we had basically removed everything. So there was... Uh, I mean, there was a work table where the four seconds would sit. And then in the other part of the suite, there would be um, uh, a table for Vichy where he could sit and work. And basically everything else was thrown out. So, and uh, of course, uh, there was a beautiful view. But, uh, you know, sunlight will get into your computer screen. So you will draw all the curtains. I think there is a couple of oh, pictures man. where you, it, 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 look, it looks like a very bad basement, but it's actually the top suite of uh, the Hilton. But, uh, I mean, World Championship matches tends to have this kind of uh, effect that somehow, well, you try to lock yourself in. And I think it was a very good strategy because, well, if we talk a bit about the sort of um, the situation that Vichy is playing uh, abroad, he's playing in Sofia. So while, at least from our perspective, we thought the whole world would be rooting for Vichy to win. Then at least the whole Bulgaria was rooting for Vichy to lose. So basically, right. we, tried I, to I, I, our, yeah, yeah. we tried to create our own oh, bomb. Uh, yeah. And Vichy basically had a rule of sort of, I mean, to check internet. Well, maybe it's necessary for us. Friends. We know we need to know game comments. Maybe there is some comments about the opening. But to well listen to rumors and chess politics, he tried to cut himself completely out of. So basically, we were trying to create some kind of uh, bubble, and uh, well, we did that in a sort of basically physical sense, basically sealing ourselves off from the the rest of the the world uh, for good and good and bad. Okay, you've done a you've done a good job setting the scene, Peter. Of just how tense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so before we uh, start tracing the timeline from. Um, Leading up to the game, I do have one question relating to the openings from a friend and supporter of the podcast. You're and a fellow Dane. I am Kare Christensen. So, ah, okay. So yeah. he asks. He says, uh, "Did the much frightened, the much frightened supercomputer, which Team Topalov were supposed to have access to, but in fact it didn't work, as Cheparinov mentioned uh, in his perpetual chess interview." Um, but which you guys didn't know for sure at the time. But did the did the computer play a role in the thinking of Team Anon throughout the match and also in preparations for Game 12? 
Well, heavily, but the actual supercomputer they mentioned, we didn't know of during the match. Uh, actually, maybe they should have let us know, because then we would have been freaked out. But uh, we knew about that uh, they had this uh, access to Team Ripka. And also there is a, well, at that point, uh, well, we had understood that something like called remote computing was working, but we didn't have it on a big scale. And they had access to quite some more remote computing than us. We were reading some online forums, but especially, well, uh, in the 2008 match, we were in touch with uh, Team Ripka. But in 2010, they suddenly went silent. And um, I think we realized that uh, there is two buyers for Team Ripka. And uh, as it wasn't us, it was them. Right. So I th- I, we, we kind of understood it. And I think after game two or three, we sort of decided that uh, basically, okay, um, let's not make this a a match of sharp preparation, but it fitted very well with our general strategy. I mean, well, you said uh, originally that uh, Topalov and Vichy are both great attacking players, and that is very much true, and Vichy used that to his effect uh, against Kramnik. But our point of view was that uh, Vichy is a global universal player, while Topalov is more sort of, uh, you know, one-way full-speed attack. So our idea was anyway to take him, you know, out of this attacking mode, and we wanted to play solid openings, and we wanted to, uh, well, minimize the effect of opening preparation. I mean, basically, we thought Vichy is the better player, and, uh, well, I think rightly so. So, I mean, and and, uh, a strategy that wants to take out uh, sort of the effect of preparation also to the same effect is trying to minimize the effect of the supercomputer. So it kind of fitted to our strategy. I think we just decided to take it even a step further and simply, well, we were always trying to, well, let to force Topala to think on his own, force uh, him not to show all his computer-prepared lines. And, uh, well, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but that was very much the, the, the thinking. Okay. Um, okay, so Peter, I want to get into the nuts and bolts of uh, tracing the events, <laughs> but first we're going to take a break to hear from our friends at Chessable. Listen up, Perpetual Chess listeners. I've got something great to tell you all about this week from Chessable. None other than world champion GM Magnus Carlsen is releasing a course soon, and he's got a free preview available right now on chessable.com. It features a 27-minute video going over a wild win of his against Super GM Lee Chow. In addition to the video, there's a trainable quiz from Chessable based on Magnus Games. And by the way, GM Peter Hein Nielsen, who you're hearing in this interview and is Magnus's trainer, helped design the course. So once again, the lesson is totally free, and all you have to do to see it is go to chessable.com and check it out. Okay, so Peter, so you've got, you know, once it's, uh, um, she decides he's going to go for the Queen's Gambit decline to the, uh, the Lasker variation when possible. Um, so what's the, what's the next step from there? You guys are assigned specific variations and each sort of work on your own, or what happens next? I think, actually, first of all, uh, we tried to get a lot of sleep um, because there was exactly this uh, free day before um, the next game. So I think the decision was taken after game 11. And then we thought, okay, now there's going to be a lot of sleep. Uh, and then we start working the next day. But, um, well, I think we were also trying to activate uh, our sort of helpers and get in touch with them. I mean, basically... Well, you said it's the Lasker, but uh, well, you say the Lasker because that was happening in the game. But well, there was basically like four kind of areas. But I mean, in some of them we had some ideas what to do. In others we were completely blank. 
So it was a matter of trying to shake as much information we could from the sources we had. And uh, well, that was basically stage, stage one, to try and make sure that also these four directions was basically kind of uh, solved. I think one of the directions was the Catalan, but we had prepared the Catalan with white ourselves. So that was by far our least worry. But then we had to fix uh, three other kind of things. And uh, well, especially, well, Kramnik, uh, as mentioned, was basically already integrated in the team. So the first thing we were doing was to get to Kramnik and try to get as much uh, possible uh, info from him for sure. But uh, also Kasparov, Magnuson, and so on. Maybe, I don't know if we want to do them uh, sort of separately, what your plan is. Yeah, I mean, well, let's dig in. I mean, again, this is something that's sort of become more commonly known as the years have gone on, especially with the recent literature about it. But um, so how did Kramnik's help come about? And uh, what, what do you think his uh, motivations were for, for helping you guys so much? Yeah, well, Kramnik basically sort of offered his assistance, I think, after game three, if I remember correctly. Uh, he just got in touch via email. Uh, I think Kramnik has realized that, uh, well, we were playing the Catalan, we were playing the Slav, which was uh, his openings against Tupalov. And uh, he basically got in touch via email, uh, I think, uh, to say that, uh, actually, why don't I help you guys? But uh, I think, as I said, um, basically, we saw it as the whole world was rooting uh, against Tupalov. And I think that's the right phrase. They were not ruling for an end. They were against Tupalov. And I think, well, if you remember, uh, Kramnik beat Tupalov in a match, but then lost to Anand the next match. But the Kramnik-Tupalov match was basically, well, it was extremely exciting, but it was horrible in the sense of tension. Uh, Kramnik lost the game without playing, and there was this toilet gate. And, um, well, there was a lot of fighting going on afterwards. So Kramnik obviously really disliked Tupalov, uh, sort of. Uh, and I think, well, he just, you know, well, he would rather be the world champion himself. But uh, seeing Tupalov as the world champion again was just unbearable to him. So he basically just wanted to help uh, Vichy as much as, uh, as possible. <clears throat> and he, he basically, you know, um, sent us an email. Maybe, maybe I can help you. And, uh, well, we thought, um, well, we discussed it briefly, but I think... Uh, everybody thought that was just a great idea. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> he, I mean, uh, and, uh, well, he integrated as a full team member. Of course, in the beginning, maybe it was a bit more sort of, um, well, you know, we were testing out what, it, what, what, what is his motivation. Is he trying to get info from us? But it was clear that he was sharing a lot of stuff. But in the beginning, we didn't treat him as someone we, we trusted fully. I remember that, uh, I think, before game four, he had shown us some interesting ideas in the Catalan. And we said, ah, oh, that's very interesting. Thanks a lot. And then Topalov played exactly into this area, and we played something else, and we hadn't told Kramnik. So he thought, okay, what is this? I mean, I give you great ideas, and you don't <laughs> play them. I'm just trying to, to collect info or what. And, uh, and we told him, no, actually, we had prepared this, and, well, we are sorry. But we started to share more with him, and also I think we shared some things about the technology. And I think in the beginning also we were not giving him the full truth, and we thought, okay, this is ridiculous. He's helping us. Let's, um, you know just share everything uh, with him uh, we do and i think also well it also depends i mean on sort of the strategy and such i mean well imagine if you're very young you expect a lot of world championship matches would happen later but i think at that point it was clear for vichy that he thought that well it's not my last world championship match but should I lose the title at some point? I'm not going to try and qualify again. Well, actually, he did, and he successfully. But I don't think that was the plan at the point. So I think basically we decided that uh, um, 
we're just gonna i mean the only thing that matters is winning this match uh if you win it there's a new match i'll be prepared for that but it, it you know gives you the freedom of okay share whatever info you want with kramnik because that will make him feel more comfortable he will help us more and this will improve our chances in this match so basically but well, he got access to all our files and such and uh, he, he just became a, a team a full team member he was working for us at night uh, and uh, believe it or not, he was actually playing a tournament at the time. I mean, I, I recall him, well, calling on his cell phone to Kasim Djanov on Skype. I said, uh, but Kasim said, but you have to play Radjab in 50 minutes. Oh, don't worry. I will find something to play against Radjab. <laughs> he was just talking with, with us about advanced theory. And oh, he, I think he even won the Red tournament and such. So he was basically a, a fully-fledged uh, member. And... Um, I mean, he solved a lot of uh, difficult opening, opening problems from us. I mean, uh, he was an extremely dedicated second. And uh, I think, um, well, he wanted Tupala to lose. Let's just put it like that. That's uh, I Well, I haven't asked, told him about it, but there's no specific reason he would want Bishi to win. But uh, at that point, he was extremely uh, tense with him and uh, Tupala still. And uh, well, it was obvious he didn't want Tupala back on the throne. And uh, well, I think rightly so. But uh, Kramnik was extremely motivated in that sense. Yeah. And for any listeners not as familiar with the history, obviously, you can just look up Toilet Gate yes. and you'll you'll find all about uh, Tupala accusing Kramnik of... Uh, using engine assistance during a world championship, which obviously is the sort of thing that can beget a grudge. Um, so so that sets the scene for Kramnik. And obviously, he, as you say, he's, he's staying on Skype calls throughout the night. Um, and what about uh, another former world champion, Gary Kasparov? Well, Kasparov had sort of been around as a, not a helper for Vichy, but uh, when Kasparov uh, was playing, sorry, when Vichy was playing against Kramnik in 2008, Kramnik, sorry, Kasper was also helping a bit. Not a lot, but they had like a uh, phone conversation uh, relatively shortly before the match where they sort of, well, Kasparov had uh, played the Kramnik in a match, so he had some insights there. They were debating a few opening ideas and such. And, uh, well, also, if you remember, uh, Vichy was playing a very surprising move, 1-D4 in the match. And, uh, well, just to show that there was some trust between them, Kasparov was asking, so, Vichy, what is the opening move going to be? And Vichy was saying, actually, it's going to be, well, D4 and such. So they were having some talks like that. Um, and I think at that point, well, uh, Kramnik and Kasparov had a very bad relation that they still had uh, during the Sofia match. We'll come back to that a bit later. So that was his motivation then. But he was also offering his help for this Tupalov match. And uh, here it was somewhat more. I mean, before the match, uh, I remember that uh, Kasparov and, and Vichy was having a, a Skype conversation, sort of debating certain openings position. But uh, as strange as it sounds, they were both not heavily into details. And, uh, well, that's maybe quite typical. I mean... Uh, well, Vichy also has to prefer, prepare his physical shape. He also has to prepare his calculation. Uh, and sort of one month before the match, he doesn't have to be fully into details. While I would be fully into details because that's my only role. And Kasparov was out of, out of chess uh, and such. So they agreed that, um, well, why don't you email me instead? So, uh, well, what happened was that I copied some questions I gave to Vichy, who then gave it to, send it to Kasparov, who most likely gave it to his assistant. So in, in that way, I was kind of uh, debating with Kasparov's uh, assistance about some opening problems. But Kasparov was showing willingness to, to help there at least. But um, Kasparov's things was a bit outdated at the point. And also when we came before this game 12, Kasparov was um, still helping. So Peter, do, what do you think uh, Gary Kasparov's motivation was? I mean, well, 
a lot of it was chess politics. I mean, this is 2010. Um, Kasparov was not running for FIDE president, but Karpov was running, and it was clear that Kasparov was supporting it. Uh, also at that time, um, Kasparov was uh, Carlson's second. And I think these two things combined. I mean, uh, well, Danilov was Tupalov's manager. And uh, I think he was, uh, well, I mean, Tupalov was not really supposed to be in this World Championship match. There was some kind of, uh, well, negotiations where Tupalov was sort of parachuted into playing a match against Kamsky to challenge Vichy. I mean, basically, he, Fide was giving him a huge political favor, and he only had to beat Kamsky in order to, to qualify for this match. So he was kind of connected to Fide while Kasparov was trying to challenge it. Secondarily, I think that um, as uh, Kasparov was Magnus's coach at the time, well, he was hoping Magnus would be the next challenger. And I think because of that, it was important for him that Vichy would win. Uh, not that he thought Vichy was an easier opponent in any way, but should Tupalov win, then uh, well, with Danilov at the, at the sort of potential feeder leadership, it might be very difficult to sort of get good conditions for a match, or maybe even they would try some shenanigans. It was very typical at the time. While with Vichy, he thought that Vichy is chess politically rather weak. It's going to be easier, and uh, well, they would just get a straight match, and he thought favored Magnus' chances there, I'm sure. So I think... This was sort of, uh, again, very politically, and uh, especially as sort of uh, Vichy is mentioning in, in his memoir, uh, at least afterwards, Vichy got the, the feeling that Kasparov wanted him to endorse Karpov uh, as the next FIDE president, and, uh, which Vichy refused to do. And then uh, later, Kasparov was uh, trying to, to help Gelfand for the next match versus uh, um, uh, Vichy, but that's jumping a bit ahead. So oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> No, I think, uh, well, that was the story at the time, uh, at least. But uh, no, there was a lot of politics going on. I mean, well, there is always politics going around, but, but in 2010, it was very tense. And the match was happening, uh, I mean, relatively few months before the upcoming FIDE elections and such. Uh, so there was, a, there was definitely a lot of, of tension in, in that sense. But it's clear that Kasparov and Kramnik was uh, very motivated to help. But the funny thing was that... Um, we really wanted both their helps, but also we couldn't tell Kramnik or Kasparov that the other one was helping because then things would uh, collapse, as you can imagine. Because uh, I mean, just to complicate things, they also hated each other. So it's basically <laughs> some some kind of weird, weird triangle, right? And um, I remember at one point I explained to you that we have this uh, Swede, right? The seconds is sitting in one room, Anna in the other, and at some point uh, before this game twelve, I remember that uh, Vichy was talking to Kasparov. And uh, Kasabiana was talking to Kramnik. And I could hear both conversation. I thought, okay, maybe they can hear it. So I quickly ran up and closed the door because I thought, okay, <laughs> the, the least thing we need is to, you know, Kasparov starting to say, okay, I will help, but Kramnik can't help or something like that. So, and um, well, also I had a conversation, I think, uh, before we got uh, Kramnik's help, where Vichy was saying, well, um, should I accept Kramnik's help? Because Kasparov will uh, maybe be upset about it. And, and well, I thought he's going to find out after the match. And that was basically end of discussion. I mean, as I said, we are trying to win this match. And what happens afterwards, happens afterwards. I mean, basically, okay, you, I mean, it becomes some kind of um, war thing. You are willing to lie or whatever you do. If, <laughs> if, if, if they only find out after the match, who, who's going to care, right? Um, so, but that was basically our, our two sort of world champions helpers. But Kasparov was more general. He was talking quite some with Vichy. And I think for Vichy, it gave some kind of confidence. I mean, uh, Kasparov was the stronger player than Vichy in most of their sort of career when they were face-to-face. -face. 
and I think he somehow got some positive energy for him. While Kramnik was, uh, he was uh, delivering a lot of uh, opening uh, analysts to us, and uh, he was also sharing ideas he hadn't used himself, but definitely would have been useful for him later. And I think he said something like, okay, I will just give you all my work, but the deal is if we don't play it here, I will have the chance to play it first. But basically he was just, uh, I mean, it was a huge resource. You can imagine that Kramnik was maybe the best prepared player in the world. And he was just, uh, I mean, you said he was joining us on Skype, but he was also just sending emails with his files and stuff. So, I mean, that was, uh, that was a very interesting experience and extremely helpful, obviously. Yeah, and from what I've read, some interesting color earlier in the match with the Alista endgame. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, well, that was actually, but that was a bit reversed. We thought the Alista ending was very good, but then Kramnik showed us all our problems. So, right. I mean, we got to a higher level of understanding, but we had a much worse opening. And uh, but sometimes it's better to be, you know, confident and ignorant than to be yes. fully aware <laughs> of the problems. But uh, right. uh, that, that was a different story. But uh, I mean, at that point here, we had run out of things. But I mean, Kramnik was especially responsible for in the well, it's called the Bishop F4 system against the uh, Queen's Gambit, the, the, the client. Uh, we had, well, we knew the different systems, but we had no clue what to do. But Kramnik was sort of um, suggesting that, well, the system with knight h5 was uh, very undervalued. I mean, now it's one of the main lines, or at least it was at some point. And uh, at that point, it was very fresh, and Kramnik had sort of, well, he had prepared it. He thought it was very solid, and he basically showed us all the points there. And, uh, no, I remember being very nervous about it, and, and Kasim Jana was having a Skype conversation with, with Kramnik. And, uh, well, I was sort of sitting there eavesdropping, but they were talking in Russian, so I had no clue what they were talking about. But, well, Kasim was sort of, um, at some point, just uh, on a piece of paper, was writing Knight H5 exclaim, and I felt much <laughs> more relaxed because then I understood that, well, as I said, there was like five, four kind of corners we had to cover. And this one, well, we needed some kind of idea. And Kramnik was uh, basically giving us a, a tons of notes. And uh, I mean, well, also Kasparov would suggest some moves, some ideas, but Kramnik would more give complete solutions. And what you really need at this point is to seal off some areas and say, okay, this we can actually live with. Let's try and move on to some other problems. And uh, no, I mean, well, if we had to pay Kramnik, he would... Uh, have been extremely expensive, but uh, well, luckily he was working on spy. That's a, that's a huge, <laughs> yeah. huge motivational fact. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah. So I know you guys had some other people um, chime in via uh, Skype or other, you know, internet methods. So who else pitched in the day before the match with? Well, with, uh, Magnus was always sort of. Um, not part of the team, but um, both in uh, 2007 when Vichy won the, the sort of round robin in Mexico, but also in eight uh, before Kramnik and now 2010 before uh, Topalov, he would come by, um, 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 what is it called, uh, the training camp in, in Bad Soden, where Vichy sort of uh, had, had us ha have a small flat. He's actually quarantined there at the moment, if, I, if I'm, I'm informed correctly. Uh, and sort of play some training games. And, uh, well, it worked well for both parties. I mean, it, it can sound strange, but it was a good uh, solution. I mean, well, Vichy needed someone strong to play training games against. And, um, well, you can play against some of the seconds, but, uh, well, they're supposed to be weaker than you, and they definitely they were. And also they were, they were heavily into the details of the openings. And what we really wanted to test is to you know, play the new ideas and systems we have prepared and see how they work against the surprised opponent. 
And then it was basically a jackpot to have someone like Magnus, who is, uh, well, he's a very strong player and uh, stronger and stronger at the, at the time. And, uh, well, not so much into details in the opening, so he would be very happy to come and uh, play training games and he will be surprised and he will fight the best. Like this, Vichy could start sort of feeling comfortable with his openings and Magnus got some free information about opening free and uh, gets to play some training games with the world champion. And uh, well, that worked uh, very well. I mean, okay, in 2010, uh, Magnus was maybe already the highest rated and strongest player in the world. So there, ah, oh, sorry, 2000, 2010, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so there, I mean, it was much more competitive in in a way. And maybe we were a bit afraid of, well, what happens if Vichy actually starts losing heavily? Will he lose all kind of confidence? But I think the match was kind of equal. Also, it helped that Vichy was the much better prepared and such. Uh, and they, they stayed like three days uh, together there. And uh, they played uh, chess in the day. And in the evenings, me and Magnus might play some computer games and stuff. Uh, but he was very friendly. But, well, during the match, I would also get a bit in touch with Magnus too get a bit of help, but uh, not a lot. But I mean, before game 12, I think at some point, um, well, we had some kind of problems. And uh, well, especially at night at some point, well, uh, Magnus had access to all Kasparov's opening notes. And somehow, well, Vichy would talk with Kasparov, but sort of to call him in the middle of the night to get him to check his notes, we couldn't really do. And, and that I was using Magnus for a couple of times. And uh, But also, well, just on a, on a friendly basis. But well, he was much less involved. The one who really cared a lot was uh, was, was Kramnik. And, well, McShane, as we will speak, but probably a, a, a little bit later, I guess. Yeah. So what time of day? So it's the middle of the night you guys are working? You know, well, it's not, to... not the middle of the night yet, I would guess, because, I mean, here we are distributing, okay, we are gathering information. Everything actually looks fine. Um, I mean, well, we will eat what as we always do, and we will talk with Vichy, and everything to be, seems to be doing uh, great. I mean, uh, well, Catalan was never a problem. Uh, Kramnik has sold Bishop F4, Bishop G5 has actually happened. We were never to worry about because we had some idea. And then the only decision left was, uh, should we play Nemso Engine or should we play 1D4, D5? And the, the choice was to play 1D4, D5. And everything seemed covered. So, I mean, Vichy would leave us, I guess, around midnight and the status would be that everything is actually looking good. And Vichy would go to sleep with, uh, you know, a good, good uh, state of mind or... Well, I say to go to sleep. I have no idea what he did. Probably he would go and watch a couple of uh, comedies with, with, with Aruna, his wife, to sort of relax down. But from our perspective, he was going to sleep and we will not see him for the next 10 hours. And basically, well, the deal was that, uh, okay, this is the areas we have to deliver. And they have to be ready when he comes for breakfast tomorrow at uh, 9.30 or whatever. And we had like, uh, I don't know, 10 hours to finish the work. But at that time, it seemed like oh, it's no big deal. Everything seems to be working fine. And what time was the game the following day? I think the game was at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock. I think 2, two o'clock. But it could actually have been 1 o'clock also. I'm not completely sure. It's a good good point. Uh, maybe it was 1 o'clock. And uh, the sort of, I mean, the routine would be that uh, we have a morning session. Then Vichy would go away. He would shower. He would, uh, well, lie down and relax. And then I think from maybe 12 to 12.30, we will go over sort of the, let's say, rehearsal of opening lines, and he will take the car to the game and go and play. And uh, maybe actually the game was starting at 1 o'clock. I'm not 100% sure. It's 1 or 2 o'clock, uh, sort of. But there was a, a very sort of uh, strict routine, and especially as in, in the first two games, uh, 
which he got into trouble because uh, he misremembered some open preparation. We started to have a routine that the, the last half hour before he had to leave, we would sort of have drills where we were going through, okay, this is what's important in this area, this is what's important in that area, and so on. Uh, so we had to sort of fit things into, the, into that, that schedule. And Peter, was there any concern at all that Topalov might spring like E4 or the English out of the blue, or was that just not even on the table? Well, English was luckily taken care of because, um, well, uh, we wanted to play the move order with the D4, D5. So after C4, you can play E6. I think we did a bit there. I think earlier in the match, before every black game, we would still look a bit at E4. But I think for this final game, we didn't think about it, no. I think we had decided, uh, and uh, who knows why, but that uh, we wanted to play the Vichy to play the French. And I think he would have played it for the, the 12th game. And uh, I mean, looking at the lines with modern computers is not such a pleasant sight. So maybe Tupala should have tried that. But I think at that point, well, also, we thought that Tupala felt he was putting so much pressure on Vichy's repertoire that uh, it would be very strange if he had changed. With hindsight, it uh, would have been a brilliant decision. But, uh, well, again, uh, Tupala really felt his strategy was paying off. I mean, Vichy was trying one dubious strategy with Black after after the other, and he was getting into trouble and such. And, uh, well, he's been very, I mean, I think he lost game eight. In game 10, he was close to losing. Why would you change your strategy for game 12, right? Um, that takes... I mean, uh, infinite courage, basically. So I don't think it was something we paid a lot of attention to. But uh, again, as we just said, Vichy is kind of a perfectionist, so probably we had a bit, but I don't think much, now. Okay, yeah, I guess that, that makes sense. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's good to be able to game that out and make sure you have your bases covered. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, we were in good spirits there, and things seems to work out. Um, but then... Of course, uh, panic seemed to to, to sort of uh, hit, hit there. I think, well, we had basically sort of distributed uh, work. I think that, for instance, um, Bishop F4, uh, Ganguly was uh, responsible for Bishop G5, was Wojtasek. And, uh, well, then Catalan was probably me, but we didn't take it too serious. And then there was uh, the D4, D5, C4, E6 move order was Kasim, but also me joining in. And there, suddenly, we hit a complete roadblock. Um, well, the system is called the Ubilava system. It's uh, well named after Vichy's uh, longtime second uh, and, and, and form, well, former second and trainer. And I mean, the funny thing is basically that uh, the 10 years I worked with Vichy before the match, this Ubilava system was working fantastically for, for Black. Then all the time after this game, it was also working well. But suddenly, there, it was collapsing. And uh, well, you, you can imagine the situation, right, that, um, well, there is some problem around move 14. I mean, well, Kasim Janov had discovered some move he got nervous about, and we tried to solve it, and we couldn't really. I mean, well, I tried to help a lot. It didn't work. I think I asked uh, Magnus after midnight, please, can you actually check Kasparov's notes? Maybe there is something here. And Magnus very nicely went and checked the note. He says, no, it's not mentioned. They're okay. Then we put Kramnik on it. He couldn't solve it either. And uh, basically, you can see that, well, we start dragging in all kinds of resources. We ask maybe Surya, can you come and analyze Radek as well? So, I mean, this kind of sore spot suddenly drags in, sucks in all the attention from everybody. And... Um, well, sometimes this can go horribly warm. I mean, uh, before game tw 10 in in, uh, in, in Bonn, 
we got completely paranoid about some obscure move in some line of the Vienna. And of course, Kramnik went somewhere else and played the Nimswindian, and Weasley lost horribly because we had completely ignored that. And we were afraid of doing it the same again. But the problem is just that but it becomes some kind of, uh, you know, it's uh, it's very difficult just to say, okay, ah, that's a pity. It doesn't work, but, uh, you know, let's not worry too much about it. I mean, it starts absorbing all kind of energy. So this sort of status that uh, everything was great around midnight just got worse and worse. Um, well, we asked uh, Carlson, as I said, but uh, he looked at it and said, okay, this is way too difficult for me. And uh, he went to sleep because, well, he was not a paid second or anything like that. But uh, no, Kramnik tried really hard, but he couldn't solve it. And me and Kasim was trying a lot, and Kasim came up with some kind of idea. And I looked at it afterwards here many years later. Maybe it worked, maybe it, it, it didn't. Um, but there, it was clear the complete panic s set in. And I think um, around 5 o'clock in the night, uh, me and Wojtasek decided, okay, we're simply too tired. We cannot think anymore. So the deal was that um, we should go to sleep and come back at 8 o'clock. So, I mean, go to sleep means three hours of sleep, right? That we should get a short break. Maybe we'll have a new perspective. And the rest of the team would work as hard as they could to solve it because... Well, the, the nightmare scenario was that, uh, well, we knew that uh, in five hours, Wishy is going to walk into the door. And we would much rather tell him, ah, oh, okay, we have a great repertoire, just look at this, than to tell him, okay, yeah, you have a kind of important game today, but we have no clue what you're going to play in the <laughs> opening, right? That's, that would be a pity. Um, so, so we basically gave up uh, there. As I explained, the move order we wanted to play was d4, d5. But you could also play d4, knight, f6. And uh, Kramnik decided on his own that, well, these guys are not going to solve this problem, or at least there's a risk. So, so Kramnik decided on his own just to start working on a Nimso Indian repertoire. This was not at all sort of what we agreed with Vichy, but um, well, you can't really tell Kramnik to sort of stay to the plan. I mean, well, he's the ex-world champion. So Kramnik um, actually produced a very nice repertoire in the, in the Nimso Indian. And uh, well, we could have given that to Vichy. It was actually a very good plan B. And it also it some shows Kramnik that he understands that, uh, well, okay, this can go wrong, this is a brilliant alternative. But it's also very dedicated to have an ex-world champion and maybe the best theoretician in the world who starts on his own at 5 o'clock at night for something he's not paid to, to try to create some kind of a repertoire, right? But, um, well, Kasim kept working on the problem and he got help from Luke McShane. Um, well, Luke McShane was, well, I guess you know him. He's sort of an extremely talented chess player but has somehow decided not to be fully chess professional. So he was sort of a bit in and out of the chess world, and I think he was involved in a in one of the camps before the match, and also came to my place for a week to sort of help a bit with preparation. And uh, well, he was willing to sort of uh, you know, just help for the fun of it, basically. And uh, I think around six, seven, uh, 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 sort of well at night or at morning, but for him night because he's been working through the night, he managed to actually crack the problem. And uh, oh, I looked at him with the computer nowadays, and it McShane's solution just works. I mean, um, it's a complicated position. I mean, well, well, this is an audio show, so it's difficult to, to explain, right? But uh, White has sort of uh, has an exchange and a pawn for two pieces, but White's sort of uh, Black's position is, uh, um, is somehow confined. But you have to play rook g8 and g5, and then you hit the bishop on f4, and the rooks come to g6, and your king escapes to g7. And so it's a brilliant solution. But also, well, the problem is that 
everybody is on no sleep at six o'clock in the night and somebody suggests something uh, magical, right? Uh, who knows if this is working or not? Um, but I remember that I met Kasimdjanov around eight to nine in the morning. Kasim was at no sleep at the point, but I was actually allowed this three hour, three hour break. And uh, it was obvious he was just dead tired, but he was basically rambling off all the variations and copying the files to me and making sure I understood it, but also just wanted to run to his bed and get some sleep, right? Because, well, he was dead, dead at the time. But somehow, well, it managed to save it, but uh, it was basically... It was very close, and uh, well, we had the Kramnik bag up, but that would have freaked out Vichy because he was not going to, going to plan. So um, somehow, Kasimjanov and especially McShane managed to solve our problems, and um, well, they managed also to tell it to me. So I had like uh, one hour from eight to nine. I could sort of calmly sit down and copy the files, sort of knead them up, make sure that there were nothing was blundered, <laughs> and put everything in, in nice to the file. And then, well, at some point, Vichy came in. I said, "How are so? How are things doing?" So, no problem, same status as uh, last night. There's nothing to absolutely worry about, right? And uh, well, we could sort of calmly explain him that, well, here you do this, here you do that. And well, from VC perspective, it looked like, well, nothing has changed, right? He left at 10 o'clock in the evening. Then he came to, to me again next morning, 9 o'clock. I remember that, uh, well, the hotel would bring their, their trolleys to with food to the suite. So we would sit there and have omelette and drink orange juice and talk very calmly about things. But... Uh, it was a complete mess, and people was basically in tears a few hours before because nothing was work, working and such. And I mean, we had the best resources you could possibly have in in terms of uh, human resources, but even sort of Kramnik couldn't solve it. And then McShane managed just in the end before we, you know, had to present it to Vichy and such. So I, it was a very strange experience there. And uh, well, with hindsight, probably, I mean, as you said, we completely obsessed about something that was not too likely to happen and such. But uh, I think you lose perspective in these situations. And, uh, well, we had like six persons who thought that this was the most important thing in the world to sort of solve these kind of uh, areas and such. And uh, I don't know if we did, but it held up quite uh, nicely. And then well, we could basically go back to our old routines with that. Um, well, it was a normal game. We were, as I said, I was eating breakfast with Vichy, and then later Kasimjanov would have gotten his sleep to come back, so would um, um, uh, Ganguly and such, and we would have our exactly normal routine. The, the game would take its course and such. But um, I was a very weird, uh, weird night, I would say, in many ways. Yeah, but uh, it's now. Like a it's like one of those movie scenes where like the teenagers have a party while the parents aren't yeah. home. And then they <laughs> Something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I mean, no, it looked, you're right. Yeah. Someone just managed to clean up in time. <laughs> no, no. But um, it's, yeah. And I, I do think Vichy said in his book that that when you briefed him in the morning that you said, well, there was a huge crisis, but it's fine. Yeah, may, maybe also I was so happy it was solved that I think I told him that you have a repertoire, but you actually didn't uh, two hours ago. <laughs> and that, that was unprofessional, but I was, you know, I was just so relieved. But it was also, I mean, well, you can imagine... Uh, well, I tried to put a lot of pride in actually helping him, but at five o'clock, I just had no energy left in my body. So I just decided, okay, stop it. I'm going to leave. I'm hoping someone else will solve it for me, right? And uh, well, they did. And I was very happy about that. And uh, well, I could do what I'm probably best at, sort of organizing it and preparing stuff for Vichy and such. But it, it's true that uh, you're right. I actually told him that, uh, yeah, it wasn't so good, but now it is. And uh, <laughs> I, he will take that with stoic uh, sort of uh, calmness. And uh, well, Aruna would be there. No, we just had a, a pleasant breakfast. Uh, exact same place where you know 
um, yeah, people were going nuts uh, yeah. quite quite That's... early and such. But uh, well, I think also maybe we well, I wanted to praise the rest of the team because they did a hell of a lot of job job to solve the problem. But I think also it gave him some uh, confidence that everybody was going out of their way to try and help him in that way and such. And uh, well, especially Kramnik and Machane, who, who I mean, well, the rest of us, we were at least, uh, well, paid seconds, right? The other one was just uh, doing him a favor, right? So, I mean, uh, no, that was uh, yeah. interesting. It's um, better than, than waking up, as you say, and being told that you're going to play the Nimzo Indian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I, well, with hindsight, I would have liked to see his reaction. But uh, at that point, it wasn't my <laughs> my, my priority. But uh, who knows? I mean, well, also, the way I tell things, it sounds like the opening is very decisive. I think, obviously, it's not. But, uh, well, that's what the seconds are there for and such. And that's what uh, we cared a lot about. And, yeah, and it know. is sometimes decisive. But, well, exactly. I mean, it, I think also oh. because... Vichy chose it to be uh, because he thought he, he had an edge there, and also, well, that was the kind of player he was at the time. While you were right that other times it's not, but I think for him it it it, it wasn't in, in in many ways. Yeah. So to to sort of wrap things up, Peter, let's get to the game. So, uh-huh. uh, so how does it feel from a seconds perspective? I mean, generally, once a game starts, but especially this game, did you just go to sleep, or were you so no. wired that you had to watch? No, I I, I can't sleep during the games. Uh, actually, I think it's unprofessional that you can't sleep. But I, I mean, well, maybe I'm a fan, but also I feel a bit responsible. So. I mean, you 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 sit there and you watch. Uh, well, also this was game twelve, so uh, you could argue that uh, I mean there is three scenarios: either he wins or loses, and then it doesn't matter because the match is over. Or if it's a draw, then there is a playoff, but there's actually one more night to sleep. So here, well, relaxing wasn't so important, but also. No, it was extremely exciting to sit and watch. But, uh, well, that would be my style. I think uh, Ganguly just slept through the whole game. How how he managed to do that, I have absolutely no idea. I thought it was an extremely tense moment. But, uh, well, re- respect to him, he was getting ready to prepare for for, for a tie-break. And, uh, well, then I would mainly sit there with Wojtasek, but also with, with Kasim some of the time. But, well, of course, um, it's a bit selfish. But as a second, the opening phase is extremely important. Uh, you want to see how it's going because, well, that's what that's the area you're responsible for. And uh, well, um, now or seconds maybe sounds uh, kind of experienced, but this was the first game we were in this kind of situation, right? I mean, the first match uh, he won quite easily, even though I said it was nerves, but he won it with the two points uh, uh, cushion. Well, here, well, if you want to get into history of chess, you just have to spoil the preparation. He loses uh, game 12, right? Everything is uh, at stake here. So, of course, we were nervous here, but uh, the opening phase went kind of well. And I think at some point, uh, well, you can see Tupalo starts thinking and uh, Vichy is still in his preparation. We felt that, no, this is not too bad. I mean, uh, well, then you start rooting for the result, but you understand at least uh, we didn't fuck up uh, heavily. Uh, sorry, right. pardon my uh, lang- language. No worries. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, uh, so that's how, how, it's many, how many moves of preparation ended up being played after all of the drama? So, something like 17 to 18 moves, if I remember correctly. But I was a very forced line. Actually, maybe we got to around move 20, I would say, or maybe move 19. But, uh, I mean, the point is, uh, well, you know, some lines, I mean, how many moves? It's not such a relevant question because, uh, 
well, it's more how many unknown moves happened. And here they played some kind of Lasker variation where the first 15 moves is kind of common. And well, we had some kind of twist uh, at move 17 or 18 that uh, led to Vichy having the worst pawn structure, but having quite uh, some compensation for it. So, I mean, we had decided that during Croatian that this is not too bad. Maybe while it's a bit better, but it looks extremely drawish. And we thought, okay, I mean, well, again, uh, our assumption is that Vichy is the best player in the world. We thought, okay, if he gets to this part, Vichy is going to make the draw rather effortlessly. So that was the, the, the plan. Uh, and, uh, I mean, no, we were definitely expecting uh, after one hour that uh, well, it's going to be a playoff. And, uh, well, that's going to be fun. But, um, I mean, that was the assumption, yeah. And you guys were fairly confident about his chances in a playoff? Um, well, that's how everybody was trying to perceive it. Um, I think we just took it as, uh, well, you're black and we had suffered through with black all the match. I mean, well, we would rather he, that he won. He actually did. Um, but uh, we were just trying to, to, to escape and, and survive. I mean, to evaluate is wish he had, you know, 50% or 70% or 90% or whatever. I don't think that was matters a lot for us. I mean, had Vichy been white, it would well. You know, you saw Magnus sometimes with, uh, or actually once or twice with, with white, play cautiously and make a draw because he was a huge thought himself as a huge favorite. Uh, with white, you can start making strategical choices. But with black, what can you do, right? Yeah. Uh, but no, it's true. I mean, Vichy was completely dominant in racket, and uh, I think we saw him as the favorite. But Kasim Janov had a, a good point, and I think still a valid point that. I mean, Vichy would be the favorite in any rapid match uh, with Topalov. But this is not a rapid match. This is a playoff for the World Championship. It is something different. I mean, this is this is about nerves. And, uh, well, uh, you know, I mean, then it's a different situation. Uh, I still, still think Vichy would be the favorite also. Why why would he have worse nerves than Topalov and such? But I think Kasim makes a very relevant point. Well, Kasim makes a lot of relevant points yeah. that... Um, it's not the same. I mean, just to talk about who's the best rapid player doesn't make so much sense here. It's about, you know, who is up to the moment, who has the best nerves and such. And uh, I mean, I, that would be rather uncomfortable. I mean, well, you saw in 2012, Vichy actually managed to win a match uh, in, in the playoff against Gelfand, but um, he wasn't the, the dominant rapid player that he used to be uh, there. So, well, who knows what would have happened. But uh, I think, um, well, we would have been happy to get a draw, but, but that was because he was black and because we had suffered so much in the match. Not that we thought that, okay, rapid, it's going to be a walk in the park. Right. Okay, just trying to survive. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> um, so I, I, in my chess base, had, um, Geary had annotated uh, this game, and he ah, had a couple okay. of notes about the opening. And from, from what I read, again, I can't remember if it was in Mindmaster or the Anon Files, but Geary may have, a young Geary may have pitched in a bit, too, before the match. Yeah, he was um, actually joining uh, at some point, and it's a bit embarrassing, especially, sorry, Anish, but uh, I forgot which match it was for. That was for the Tupalov match, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. No, no. He was uh, he was there for a couple of days, but uh, well, I think uh, Geary himself uh, on Twitter—that's where he normally communicates, right? Uh, <laughs> right. Said that uh, the, that that his participation was a failure. That, that was a bit uh, harsh. I mean, uh, well, it depends on the, the level of expectation. I think uh, with your thought, we're going to bring in a young, talented kid to have a bit of fun for a couple of days and play play sort of uh, uh, some training games with Vichy. I don't think we were expecting him to pull uh, miracles in any way. I mean, it was just a, well, he was a 
uh, very nice young kid who who came and uh, had, had a couple of good days there. So I think Giri was a bit hard pass on himself. But you're right that uh, that I forgot he was part of uh, the camps. Of course, uh, maybe gives away that. Well, he wasn't the one. He was not like Kramnik, who was uh, solving all of our problems and spending all his time. But he was not supposed to. Really. He was just a, a young teenager, right? Okay. Uh, so in his in in his annotations, which I believe were written shortly after the match, although I'm not sure, but he he mentioned that he had he suspected he predicted that uh, it would be a Queen's Gambit decline. I don't know about publicly or or whatever, mm -hmm. but I think he just sort of you know game yeah. theoried out that that would be a logical choice. But he also mentioned that uh, that Vichy ended up following a German co correspondence game from 2000 up through move 21, Bishop A6, and then he uh -huh. at, at which point Vichy accidentally played a novelty. And a good oh. one at that, Gary said. So. Yeah, that could be. I mean, we did have some inspiration. Actually, I mean, well, it was said that um, we never considered the Queen's Gambit uh, decline before the match. I don't think it's technically true. I think in the beginning of the match, we are tossing up a lot of ideas. And I think exactly this line in the... Um, uh, Laska was mentioned in some new chess yearbook that was lying around, and I remember reading it and such. And I think in the beginning of the match, we were sort of uh, early. It could be that we were still sort of, uh, you know, tossing around ideas. But uh, I remember very specifically that uh, I left the camp for, for three days. Uh, my girlfriend, uh, now wife, was is uh, living in Lithuania, so I was allowed to go there for for a short uh, holiday. But when I came back, I was just told, "Okay, ah, oh, big news by the way, we're playing the Slav." Okay, <laughs> that, hmm. that day, I mean, I uh, made a note of never leave the camp because then okay. uh, then the decisions apparently are going to be taken without you. But um, so we had a bit of work, and I think actually that included there was some article in a new chess yearbook where we have spotted that this line kind of existed and such and. Uh, but uh, I don't think we had any serious notes, and uh, we, we basically started working from scratch on that. But, I mean, well, we had noted it, it, it existed, but also basically, I mean, well, it's very hard to find something that hasn't been played by someone ever before, uh, right? I mean, there is uh, not billions of games, but uh, tens of millions of games, right? More or less everything ex exists, right? So, well, you have to find something that, that, that suits you. But uh, this, this line was very common sense, and... Uh, I, it's a bit surprising to Palov hadn't prepared something sharper. Uh, okay, so I'm not to speak for uh, GM Geary, but but one could infer that when he says he accidentally played a novelty, he probably means that Vichy didn't even know he was following no, no, this game. Exactly, that that could very well well be. I mean, no, that's I mean, well, that you also see quite typically that someone you know online commentators will say, okay, I mean, well, this move is not a novelty because it was played in the you know. Uh, Siberian Youth Championship three years ago, uh, I mean, in the on the 12th, sec 12th section. And no, that can happen, but uh, it's still, I think, what matters if it's a novelty at top level or something like that. I mean, okay. uh, I, it, it depends, but I, I don't think we were following uh, that game you mentioned specifically. I mean, I remember we had seen some games or this theoretical article by a Polish player called Grabacic, uh, right? I, and uh, we were following that. But, uh, okay. And then he ends up, of course, winning in a spectacular fashion, although with, with probably some help from Topalov yeah, along the way. Yeah, Topalov could force a draw. I mean, well, Vichy was offering a repetition, and we really thought Topalov would take it. But I think, um, well, maybe his evaluation was different of Rapid. I mean, if let's say Topalov maybe thought that, okay, I'm a huge underdog in Rapid, so let me try and force events when I'm white here in game 12. And well, that's a very viable strategy. I mean, Topalov has been a lot criticized uh, for, for what he did, but it really comes down to do you like your chances in Rapid or not? 
and also, well, Topalov played some very sharp moves, but uh, I think afterwards he said he missed one move by Vichy. And if I recall correctly, well, that move by Vichy was winning, but had that move not existed, it would actually be very difficult for Vichy. Well, I mean, it becomes a bit weird, but uh, you can argue that, um, well, it was not that Tutkalov took a bad gamble. The problem was that Tupalov miscalculated and he missed one of Vichy's resources, and that made, uh, made, made a huge difference. Uh, and But even then, it was very, very sharp, right? I mean, uh, well, I remember that uh, I think... When the time control was finished, uh, people started sending emails and congratulating us. And uh, well, that was obviously freaking us out, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> the match was not right. that I mean, I think the same actually happened in Mexico. I think with, with two rounds to go, which he was getting congratulatory emails. That was completely freaking him out, obviously. But uh, I mean, that's normal for fans to do. I mean, it's responsibility of the players in the seconds just to, to shut themselves out of such, right? Um, yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's a, chess is a strange sport. I mean, the last hour of the game in Sofia is in many ways pretty boring because Vichy is completely winning, but it's just taking his time to make absolutely sure he doesn't mess up. And uh, that, that takes some time. And uh, well, that's how it is. So well, you can say it was a bit of an anticlimax. But, uh, well, we were getting ourselves ready, but there was like half an hour's transport from oh, maybe 20 minutes from the hotel to the playing hall. But sort of, um, I mean, someone suggested, should we go there before the game is over? I said, just no way. It's not like, um, well, I don't believe that you can jinx it. But still, you don't do it because uh, I would be rather bad if we went there and uh, the game was still going on and such, right? I mean, ima imagine us going to the playing hall and wish you can see us uh, there. He would, well, he understands, of course, that we're going there to celebrate. That would kind of put some pressure on him, right? So, um, well, we had to wait until he was uh, basically, basically over, which well, luckily was at some point. Yeah, and as you say, it was it was a sharp position. So to like a casual player like me, I mean, of course he's technically, I mean, he's clearly yeah. winning, but I mean, both kings are exposed. You know? Yeah, yeah, he has to calculate, and there is some. I mean, later there was some risk of fortresses and such. I mean, when you look at it, the computer, you're completely winning. But uh, I mean, well, we're talking about they have played five hours, but also they have this is game number twelve, and uh, everything is at stake. I mean, uh, it's just one bad move, and uh, you know. Things are uh, completely different. So, so uh, well, Vichy is good. He didn't do it, but uh, of course, it was uh, very nervous there. But I mean, no, as as Chivarino mentioned, there has been so much tension and such. I mean, it wouldn't be completely illogical if someone would suddenly snap and do something insane. But uh, luckily, it wasn't Vichy. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of what people, some people, have intimated about what what Topalov did with, uh, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think I think I think that is too harsh to uh, to be honest. I think. Uh, I think it's just a, I mean, he, he missed a, a good defensive move for Vichy. You can, of course, say that intuitively what he did is insane. But again, if you look at it concretely, it comes down to one or two extremely precise moves by Vicious. And uh, again, also, it's, you know, if Topolov thought, okay, I'm taking a 50-50 gamble, that's a good decision if he thinks he's an underdog in, in Rapid. So, but uh, no, with hindsight, it's very easy to say that what Topolov did was uh, bad. But uh, I think it's, well, Tupalov is Tupalov. He, he takes uh, aggressive, uh, risky decisions, and that uh, cost him in the end. Yeah, and uh, when I talked to Chaparinov, he, he told the story, which I think has been suggested elsewhere as well, that Tupalov was actually superstitious about uh, the, um, the ah, possible yeah. playoff. Yeah, it was going to be on Friday the 13th or something like that. Right, and he, yeah, had, yeah. he had lost another critical match. Yeah, on, yeah, yeah, uh, against Kramnik, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean... Believe it or not, but such things might actually matter, right? I mean, yeah, uh, but, I mean, once once the thought enters your head, it's like you can't. You no, can't exactly, put, you can't get it out. You can't unthink it, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, 
So no, 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 and uh, no. I mean, it's again. Well, also you have to make up some story why you did something uh, stupid afterwards. But it, it could right. be a mix of that. It's a comfortable explanation, but there's definitely also some truth in it, right? Um, but uh, well, to round things up, I mean, well, normally when Wish you won, we would be quite happy. But Sofia was something special. I mean, uh, well, that was this kind of hatred between the. Maybe not teams, but at least officially there was this kind of hatred, right? So, I mean, no, you know, there was some celebrations. I mean, uh, not like a football match, but I mean, well, we were actually hugging each other and such, which sounds uh, very weird for a chess uh, scenario, yeah. right? All right. <laughs> but there was a bit of celebration. I remember giving hi high five to someone I met, uh, you know, when we were running out of the, the suite to meet the other temp me team members and such. So, I mean, let's say for half a minute we celebrated like football players and we thought, oh, this is actually chess, let's try and behave again. <laughs> but sort of, there was some kind of emotions getting out there for, for a while. But I remember it was a 20 minute taxi ride to the to the playing hall so we could cool down and become normal human beings again. But also, <laughs> it's also strange, but I mean, well, I guess in football, no, there is a lot of physical activities. Here, it's like, well, three long weeks, and then suddenly all the energy disappears. Also, I mean, as I said, Kasabjanov maybe had one hour of sleep. I had like three. I mean, uh, well, you suddenly realize that you're tired afterwards uh, when everything is. I mean, when the adrenaline starts leaving the body, you just have this very empty feeling, basically. So, I mean, no, nothing uh, too dramatic happened after that, I would say. Yeah, I, I would. I mean, not. I obviously. Uh... Never lived or never will live anything like that, but I would imagine it's um it's a bit I don't want to say a letdown, but I mean yeah the, no it's an anticlimax in, in many yeah, ways exactly. because uh, okay and I remember the first time was in two thousand seven I mean you should well I so much wanted Vichy to be the world champion I, I, I worked really hard as a second but when he actually won in Mexico I thought oh that was nice. And then, right. no, I'm not really going to go to the press conference. I'm just going to have a nap before dinner. That was it. And but there's a lot of satisfaction. But it's it's very different from you know football where you will just start running around and behave strangely. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's a different mentality. But I think also it's a different sport. Well, I'm not a player. I'm a second, so it's a bit uh, different. But even the players, you see that they seem to act kind of you know ah, shake hands and smile a bit when they have won the world championship. Right? So. Okay, well, Peter, congratulations on uh, on your team winning that match. <laughs> yeah, I think Anand won it, right? But well, no, it was very interesting and uh, sort of. Uh, and also, you can say it was uh, pretty hard. So, well, we stayed together for one moment, but then somehow you can see Kasimis with with Karan and now and such, right? So yeah, you you guys were were too good to work together for too long. <laughs> ah, he got tired of me. I don't know, but uh, well, you'll have to ask him about that. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, no. Um, okay. Well, thank you. This has been a, a, an oh, amazing glimpse behind the curtain, Peter. Yeah, you're welcome. It was, uh, thanks a lot for letting me relive some um, memories here on the 10 year anniversary day day off. It's anytime, any yeah, any yeah. world championship you want to relive, Peter, I'm here yeah, for yeah. you. So. Well, I hope there will be more memories to relive. Let's do that. Okay. Yeah, let's start by just having a world championship, and then then yeah, we yeah. can uh, that would be a, winning it. Would be a good start. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, excellent, Peter. And people can follow you on Twitter. I know you've been oh, that's follow, true. Ch follow chess has been showing the games like as if they're happening. Ah, now, yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, so this, it's this... it's fun when you post the screenshots and comments. And yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. That. No, I will probably post something for game twelve, but right? I think now comes this face withdrawals, and then it suddenly is, is over. There, so that that should be fun. Yeah. So good, good. Okay. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Peter. Yeah. This has been a ton you, of fun. You too. Okay. Take good care.
Special thanks to my producer, Matthew Passy, and thanks to you all for continuing to listen to and spread the word about Perpetual Chess. You can spread the word on Twitter. Follow me. I'm at Beneficial1. You can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group and continue the dialogue about each interview after it is released. I also want to thank the people who've written a few new reviews on Apple Podcasts. That's good to see. Reviews on other podcast platforms and YouTube are also appreciated. But of course, most of all, I would like to thank the people who provide financial support to the show, especially these days as a lot of our lives are in upheaval. We're stuck at home. There's work changes and all that stuff. So it means the world to me that you guys have stuck with me and even in some cases added new support in these crazy times. So thanks. I really appreciate it. For anyone who's able to support, it is the Perpetual Chess Patreon page where you can donate through PayPal if you go to perpetualchesspod.com. So with that out of the way, first of all, of course, I would like to thank the sponsor of the show, Chessable. And I also would like to give extra special thanks to the following people and entities for their support. They include Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Apprentice Twitch Channel, Andrew Bach, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porto, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, Dan O'Hanlon, Danny Davidson, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Schneider, I am Eric Rosen, Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Greg Natel, Greg Shahadi, Guven Manet, Jens Green, John Jernigan, John Rockefeller, John Cromarty, John MacArthur, Kelly Palmer, Kevin O'Callaghan, Lorraine Dore, Lucio Casada Silva, the law offices of Stuart Katz, Michael Can, FM Michael Oblin, Mike Zelazny, Moonmaster 9000, Peter Sodi, Reuven Fisher, Seattle Chess Club, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryan of StrongChess.com, Todd Kennedy, and I also would like to give thanks to the following people and entities Aaron Waffler, Ace Viega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Peja, FM Andre Tarakov, Andrew Perry, Anidi Deer, Better Chess Training, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Mullis, Chad Hilton, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wayne Scott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Chris Lott, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, aka Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Courtney Fry, David Bleskachek, Daniel Gell, Daniel Ginsburg, Daniel Lucas of the U.S. Chess Federation, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Cramerly of Chessable.com, Douglas Matthew, Dwayne Edmonds, Ed Daly, Ethan Smith, Ian Mason, I am elect or possibly not I am elect, Donnie Ariel Esquire, Fox Valley Chess Club of Aurora, Illinois, Francis Latart Lavoie, Francis Tortoris, M.D., Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt, Gerard Barta, Giovanni Russo, Hans Schutt, Harish Srinivasan, Jacob Kovach, Jacques Pari, James Aspinwall, James Bonastia, James Murr, Jason Anfang, Jason Willem, J.D. Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Jerry Wells, Jim Ratliff, J.J. Stranod, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman of the U.S. Chess Federation, John Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jordan Goodwin, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, Jen Shahadi, Joel Rocky, John Thompson, Grandmaster Josh Friedel, I am Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovutsky, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Reifforth, Laura Beljowski, Martin Knudsen, Matthew Passy, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, the Mechanics Institute Chess Club of San Francisco, Michael Allard, 
Miguel Araspati, Mike Clem, Mr. Mike Shahadi, Mitchell Fabian, Nate Solin, Neil Bruce, Olaf Mueller Michaels, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passan, and Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Richard Hollenbach, Rory Yearwood, Ryan Berg, the Say Chess YouTube channel, Scott Dougherty, Scott McKinnon, Sebastian Finsterwater, Stefan Roller, WGM Tatia Vabrahamian, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Tom Edsel, Thomas Kolmanich, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Wayne Beam, William Brock, William Juniper, William Hogarth, William Peterson, FM Zhao Chang of Chess1000.com, and last but never least, Zhivko Soyanov. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I will catch you all soon. Podcast Network.